0: of uh, getting going a little bit sooner, we'll just get right into it and skip skip some of the reading and stuff this morning. I did unmute it. I am on and on. Testing, testing. Yeah, I guess we're... I noticed this last week at IBM, uh, a friend of mine who's a little, not quite as old as I am, but he's a little older, uh, sent me a... Note that had pointed to a a, uh, a meeting that IBM was going to have. Actually, it was a live chat. It was one of these things where people were going to sit in their office and get in on an old chat room. And the topic of this live chat was for young people that are having a quarter life crisis. Have you ever heard of that? A quarter life crisis. Now we've all heard of midlife crisis, haven't we? I mean. The midlife crisis is typically when a man goes out and buys a silk shirt and wears it unbuttoned down to here, and he goes and buys a Porsche. And then, unfortunately, sadly, sometimes these men also leave their wives and run off with their secretaries, which is unfortunate, but um, there was a story told one time of a a man who was looking in the want ads for a car, and he saw an ad, and the ad was for a late model BMW, so it it was a a fairly new BMW and it said $85. And he said, "Well, that's got to be a misprint." You know, obviously you can't buy a a, a pretty new BMW for $85, but he was intrigued, so he called the number and a woman answered. And he said, "I'm, you know, I'm calling about the BMW, but there must have been a misprint in the paper. It said $85." And she said, "No, the price is $85." And he said, "Well, what's wrong with the car?" And uh She said, there's nothing wrong with the car. He said, well, it must have a lot of miles or something. No, it's pretty low mileage. And he said, well, how can you sell an almost new BMW with low mileage for $85? She said, well, I'll tell you. Uh, My husband uh, ran off with his secretary. And after he was gone for a while, he called me up and said, you know, hon, why don't you sell the BMW and uh, we'll split the money? So she was selling it for eighty-five dollars, but that's the midlife crisis. Now apparently, people that are young in their early twenties are having quarter-life crises. I, I, some of the older, some of us slightly older people were kind of saying, "Oh come on, don't don't let other people create a problem for you that doesn't exist." For crying out loud, um. And in a, in, a, in a pretty vague way, that almost ties into what I'm going to talk about today. Not too much, but we're going to try really hard to make it tie-in. Actually, no, we're going to get into uh, what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians. And uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll mention when I'm tying this in, and so you can see it's kind of a vague tie-in. But I, I just had to bring that up. I thought that was amazing. You, when you're 22 years old, you can have a quarter-life crisis now. Uh, the last time we, quite a while ago, I talked, we talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And in that chapter, Paul was talking about meat that was sacrificed to idols. And his comment was that people that have knowledge, that true knowledge of what an idol is and true knowledge of the of the true God, could freely eat of that meat because an idol is nothing and it means nothing. But then he went on to say, that's in verse 4 he talks about of chapter 8, he said, we know that the idol is nothing in the world and there is no other god but one. So in other words it's really as of no consequence. So we're free to eat of the meat. But then he concluded later on in verse 7 he said howbeit there is not every man there is not in every man that knowledge for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. And so then his conclusion uh, in verses 8 through 13, and we'll just read 13 for the sake of time, but it pretty much was, Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. And So he talked about the whole idea of, I might be free to do something, but if it's going to cause a, a weaker brother to stumble, I will, uh, I, I will refrain, because I, it is more important that I not cause a weaker brother to, to stumble, and, and the point is, you know, some might, might look at that and say, well, that seems rather, you know, seems kind of legalistic. But if you think about it, it's really the ultimate in free will. He's saying, I'm free to do this, but I choose not to for a higher reason, that I don't want to cause a brother in Christ to stumble. So he's exercising the ultimate in free will here uh, for the sake of his brothers. Uh, now, chapter nine, and we're going to talk a little bit about one verses one through twenty-three today, and we're not going. To, it goes kind of quickly, so don't try not to panic. Um, it ties into chapter eight. Really, the the chapter marking here is almost an artificial breaking point because, uh, really, what Paul goes on to do in chapter nine is to illustrate the principle that he has just stated in chapter eight, and he's going to illustrate the principle in uh, a matter of his own life and the principle really in in sort of paraphrased from chapter 8 is and this is a quote from J Vernon McGee it's in doubtful matters the motive for christian conduct was regard for fellow believers we won't do anything which causes a weaker brother to stumble so that is kind of summarizing the principle that is laid down in chapter 8 and Let me also, kind of as an aside, point out again, the Scriptures, the New Testament, does not really lay out a series of laws. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. It lays out principles to live by, and that's part of the freedom that we have under the New Covenant is to uh, not have a series of do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. But we have very, very high and important principles that are laid down to live by, and this is one of those kinds of principles. Now, let me just make the comment about the weaker brother. Yes, it is true that we don't want to cause a weaker brother to stumble, but let me say to you and to me that it is our job not to be a weaker brother. We should not let what other people do and say affect our walk with Christ. If somebody does something, you know, if it's in one of these questionable matters where, you know, is in a gray area where it might be right for some and wrong for some, you know you you have to allow other people to exercise their freedom in the Lord, and if they do something, you can't you can't let it devastate your life, or you can't use it as an excuse to do something to sin, where you know God has spoken to you, that something is not allowed for you. if you see someone else doing it, your job is to say, "Well, God has spoken to me, and I can't, others may, but I can't, in whatever area it is, in those gray areas. Now clearly in the in the the things, you know, not committing adultery and the things that are just obviously wrong. Um, I'm not talking about those areas. I'm talking about the gray areas where we, you know, some some may choose and some may not choose. Our job is to not be a weaker brother. So let me just, just state that up front. But the principle is still uh, there that we need to be careful what we choose to do with our freedoms, so as not to cause a weaker brother to stumble. Okay. Now let's quickly read through 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 23 and try to notice how Paul illustrates the principle that I just mentioned, the principle about not causing a weaker brother to stumble in his own life. So let's me let zip through 1 Corinthians 9, 1 through 23. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. Mine answer to them that do examine me is this. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles and as brethren of the Lord and Cephas? Or I only and Barnabas have not we power to forbear working? Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock, and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man? Or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partakers of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things it is a great thing if is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things if others be partakers of this power over you are not we rather nevertheless we have not used this power but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of christ do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things that it should be done unto me. For it were better for me to die than any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews." to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. I thought it was interesting in the, the first part of the service this morning when the topic came up of servanthood and how it, it kind of meshed right in with where we would happen to be in 1 Corinthians, where, God is talking, where Paul is talking about being a servant and making himself a servant to those that are around him. Okay, if we look, let's start at the beginning, Paul, Paul's apostleship apparently is questioned a lot. He does defend his apostleship in a number of places in the Scripture, and this is another one. Uh, normally it is true that ministers of the gospel can be questioned a lot. And in many ways, someone who is a minister of the gospel can't win. I know uh, J. Vernon McGee gave an example in his book about how when he was younger and he had a young daughter and he would go on Bible conferences, his wife would stay home to take care of his daughter and then people would say, well, kind of look at him like, well, why doesn't your wife come along? And then when he got older and his children grew up, And his wife came along, then people would say, Well, does your wife always come along? Kind of like, can't you get away from her type thing? He said, You can't. No matter what you do, you can't win sometimes. And the same is true with Paul. Uh, To be an apostle, uh, we look very quickly back to Acts chapter 1. We've talked briefly about being an apostle before. Uh, I'm just going to quickly review uh, Acts 1 verse 2. Uh, it says, Un- Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. So the apostles were chosen by Christ. And if you look down at verses 21 and 22, when they were going to pick a replacement for Judas, it says, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So it's talking about the qualifications of the man they want to choose as an apostle to replace Judas. And then uh, quickly flick to back. what am I going forward for? Mark 117. We'll uh, get there, Mark 117. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. So God was going to call them to be special ministers of his. He called them directly. They were to have seen him and, to be, and been a witness of him. And uh, we've pointed out in Ephesians 2.20, I won't turn there now, but it talks about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Seems very clear there that the apostleship was a was a was a foundational ministry. It, it, in other words, the apostles were those who were chosen by Christ, saw Him, were witnesses of His resurrection, and you know there there aren't apostles throughout the generations. Uh, the, the apostles that were there. So the Paul was questioned because they said, well, he didn't see Christ, and he wasn't with the apostles and, and a witness of the resurrection, but. Paul's defense is that he doesn't say it here, but was that he did see Christ on the road to Damascus when he had that experience. God revealed Himself to Paul, and he saw him, and he saw him in heaven. He saw him in heaven, implying that he was uh, resurrected. I mean, he's uh, clearly still alive and was resurrected, and he was very clearly commissioned. You know, God very clearly told him that he that he was going to be that he was going to be. A man that was going to go out and and spread the gospel for him. And so he's defending his apostleship here at the beginning. Um, And people that were, I guess, looking for uh, a reason to have something to complain about used to try to pick apart his ministry. And he tries to defend it at at the first here. So he asks these rhetorical questions in verse one Am I not an apostle? And the answer is clearly yes. Now, some people may not believe it, but the answer is clearly yes. Have I not seen Jesus Christ? Well, yes. He saw him when he was revealed directly to him on the road to Damascus. Uh, Are ye not my work in the Lord? And then he proceeds to say that if I'm not an apostle to others, which of course he was, but even if I wasn't an apostle to anyone else, I'm clearly an apostle to you in Corinth because of the the results of his ministry to Corinth and, and the, the believers that came to know Christ through him, that's what he was specifically called for by Christ on the road to Damascus. So he's asking these rhetorical questions, defending his ministry at the first, and then goes into uh, where he's going to give the example of, uh, of uh, the rights that he has as an apostle. So then he says in verse 3, My answer to them, or my defense to the people that are... That are uh, picking apart my ministry, is the following. <clears throat> so, he says, have we not the power to eat and drink? Uh, what this means here is that don't we have the power to have our food and drink supplied to us by the churches as we are ministering to the churches? He's not saying, don't we have the right to eat and just eat and drink? I mean, everybody has to eat and drink to stay alive. He's saying, don't we have the right to have our means provided for us by the believers as we minister to them. He goes on to say, have we not the power to lead about a sister, a wife? In other words, can't we take a wife and bring her along and have her provided for as well? And then any offspring that we have, have our families provided for? Notice he says here, kind of as an aside, he says, as, the, um, as well as other apostles and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas or Peter. So he's saying, can't we, Couldn't I take a wife and have have her along to be supported by the gospel as well? Just like some of the other leaders and the brethren and Peter. I I thought it was interesting uh, because there are those denominations that teach that Peter was, Catholics teach that Peter was the first pope, and they also teach the celibacy of the leadership. If he was the first pope, he was married pope. (laughs) Um, I don't know how they missed that, but, uh, and the, The whole idea of the celibacy of the leadership certainly was unknown back then, because many of the leaders were married. So he's saying, can't you know? Don't we? Don't I have the right to also take a wife um, and have my family provided for as well? Um, And then he talks about him and Barnabas having the power to forbear working, in other words, working to support himself as he goes out to minister. And then he goes on to provide probably about, well, it's about five arguments as to why he does have the right to receive his, uh, his food and his shelter and everything should be provided for him by the church. And they have the, the, the arguments are here. Well, first of all, we already said the one in verse five, the, the examples of others. Haven't the others done it? Can't we also? Then he goes on to the second argument. Is kind of the common sense rights in other areas of life, where he he goes down in verse 7. Who goes to war any time and pays his own way? Or who plants a vineyard and eats not of the fruit thereof, or who feeds a flock and doesn't partake of the milk of the flock? He's saying, just in common sense, if you looked at who does these things without receiving the benefit from it? That's the second argument. The third one he goes on in verses nine and ten, it's in the law of Moses. That this is from Deuteronomy twenty-five, four, where it says. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. And so, and then the question is, is this, is this just a law about animals? And the answer is no, it's not just a law about animals. Um, it says, does, doth God take care for oxen? Well, yes, God does care for oxen, but his question is more of a, does God only care for animals? Like some of the animal rights groups that are around today, they like animals more than they like people. Um, it's okay to kill people, but don't you dare cut the head off a chicken. Sorry, I raise chickens. Cut the heads off them. This is not just a law about animals. This is a law about men, too. This is what it was written for. It's about the, uh, those that are out ministering the gospel should be provided for. That's the third argument. Uh, the fourth argument, uh, he goes on to say, it's, it's kind of we call it the right of holy ministry. Um, since the spiritual things are much more important than the carnal things, uh, since we're, we're ministering the spiritual things, this is down in verses uh, 11 and 12, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? The carnal things are the things, you know, the money and the food, the things to take care of themselves as they're living. And then he also points out that uh, that the uh, in verse 13, you know, Back in the Old Testament times, the priests were provided for by the sacrifices. They got their portion of the sacrifices, and that's how they were provided for. So he said even in the Old Testament, under the Old, te- old Covenant, they were provided for by the ones that ministered before the Lord. They were provided for. And then the last argument he gives in uh, verse 14 is, The Lord said so. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And a couple places that he's referring to, let me just, I'll just turn there because there's single verses. One is Matthew 10.10, where he's talking at, well, 9 and 10. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And then uh, Luke 10.7 says a real similar thing, where, where Jesus himself said, you know, the workman that is out working on behalf of Christ should be provided for. So he's saying, I have every right and the liberty to be supported by the church as I minister. But then, the, then he said, But then what does he conclude? And if you look at the end of verse 12, he says, Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. So he's saying here, and verse 15, but I have used None of these things. Okay, so I have this right, but I haven't taken any of it. And neither have I written these things now so that you might start. He said, I'm not writing this now so that you start paying me. I'm trying to teach you something here. Uh, For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. So he's chosen not to exercise the rights. And his purpose is so to not hinder the gospel. And and he's writing now as an example to them. So he has chosen to be celibate now. I I, I think there's a belief that he was married and perhaps his wife had died, and he has chosen now to remain celibate. So again, it's a free choice. This is not a law that says you have to, as a leader of the church, you have to be celibate. He has chosen to accept no support but to work as a tent maker to support himself. And again, this is a free will choice. He's chosen it. It's not a law for all ministers. Uh, and I, I couldn't help but think as I thought of this, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with a minister being paid or being provided for through the gospel today, but I think of how many ministers out there that are really hindering the gospel because of their focus on money and riches. Sometimes, I, I can't get any television channels at home hardly, I, so, but I, so I don't watch some of these religious channels, but when I've... Had opportunity in a hotel or something to turn them on. Sometimes I've just been sickened when I, you know, I turn to the Christian channels and get sickened by some of the stuff that's going on there, with people, you know, saying, uh, to, you know, having you send money in so that people can be blessed, and, and oh, by the way, send it to me so that you can be blessed, and and all these kinds of things. It, it's just, uh, I don't know. Sometimes it just makes me sick, and I want to flick the Christian channels, the Christian channels off. Uh, pretty fast because of what's going on on there. And then you hear sometimes they'll say, wouldn't it be a shame if this ministry came to an end because of no money? And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? If God wanted to end your ministry, it wouldn't be a shame if it ended. I mean, there's no sacred cows here. God may have moved through this ministry in the past, but maybe it's time for it to move on. I don't know. That's just, I don't know. Maybe I'm not very sanctified. I don't know. So again, he's illustrating the principle uh, that really he stated in chapter 8. He's talking about uh, making some free choices so as not to hinder the gospel. That's what he's doing here. And notice he says at the end of 15, for it were better to die than any man should make my glorying void. And some translations talk about his boasting because that word for glorying really talks about boasting. And I, and I don't think we're, we're talking about Paul bragging about what a great guy he is for doing this. That's not what he's talking about. I think, and this is a quote from Matthew Henry, I believe that what he's saying is, it is better to die than to have it justly said that he preferred his wages to his work. Like Balaam, which we talked about a few weeks back, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And no, he was ready to deny himself for the sake of the gospel. Note, it is the glory of a minister to prefer the success of his ministry to his interest and to deny himself that he may serve Christ and save souls. So that's how Matthew Henry put it. And I thought that was a, a good way. That's what he's talking about about when he's talking here about making his glorying void. Uh, he's not talking about bragging on himself, of oh, what a great and wonderful, wonderfully humble minister he is. Uh, okay, then we get to verses sixteen through eighteen, where he's talking about his calling. And, and he goes on to say, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So he's saying here that, you know, just like the story of the unprofitable servant in Luke 17, where Jesus told the story of, you know, how the servant when. Let me turn there. Luke 17, it's verse 7. Uh, he says, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he is come from the field, Go and sit down to meat,' And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth he thank that servant because he did the thing that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So he's saying here, it is my duty to preach the gospel. And I think verse 17 where he says, for if I do this thing willingly, I think what he's saying there is, if I were to be doing this of my own free will and just choose to be doing this, in other words, I wasn't called by God in such a dramatic way as I was on the road to Damascus, so this "if" here is not true of Paul, because he was called by God to do it, but he's saying, "If I was doing this all on my own to try to further the gospel, then I would have a reward. But if against my will, I believe he's saying, if I had been called directly by God and told to go do this, he says, it is a dispensation or a stewardship. The word dispensation means a stewardship, and a stewardship is when you take when someone is, is handling something on behalf of someone else. And a steward is really a servant or a slave. And slaves don't get paid. And That's what Paul's saying here. I'm a slave of preaching the gospel, and I'm not going to get paid for it because I have been called to do it. It's not of my free will. Again, in verse 16, he talked about the necessity being laid on him. He has been called directly by God, and he says he will not take any pay for that. And then verse 18, his reward is to simply do it with no pay, to hear those words someday, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay, then we get to verses 19 through 23, pretty familiar verses that where Paul is talking about uh, becoming all things to all men, that by all means he might save some. And, you know, if you just kind of read that, It's just a cursory reading. You might say, boy, it sounds like Paul is saying you should be a chameleon and just try to fit in with whoever you're with. And that's not what he's saying at all. He's not talking about just blending in with the crowd, but listen carefully to what he's saying. He says, verse 19, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. He's saying I become a servant of all, not just a chum not just a buddy to hang around with and just kind of blend in. I become a servant to all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And why? And I do this for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. It is done for the sake of the gospel. It's not done to try to fit into people and not make way. So he's not saying to just go out and try to, you know, the chameleon is the thing that just changes color to match its surroundings, wherever it is. He's not talking about that at all. Um, notice in verse 21 he said to them that are without the law he, he says I become as without the law but he then parenthetically says but not without the law of Christ you know, I am under the law of Christ and what is the law of Christ? thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and mind and love thy neighbor as thyself that is the, the first and second great commandments according to Christ from Matthew 22, 37 to 40 So what's he really saying here? He's saying, while still standing strong for the truth, I try in things that don't matter to enter into the circumstances of the people to whom I speak. So he's trying to to identify with the people that he's speaking with in any way that he can in in things that don't matter. So he's not going to start going and breaking the law with someone to try to win them to Christ, as if that isn't an oxymoron. Um, and again, he's saying while, under the law, while still under the law of Christ, under the law of love of God and fellow man, that's what he's, uh, that's what he's doing it for. So again, again, the ultimate goal is to win them to Christ. So he's, sta- he's still standing for the truth, but in any way that he can, he tries to identify with the people that he's talking about, talking to. And so, again, he's speaking of self-sacrifice. It's all, you know, we talked about all the arguments he had for the rights that he had, but he's not going to take any of those, not going to exercise any of those rights. Okay, so we might ask kind of in summation, what does this say to us today? Uh, I'd say, maybe to paraphrase what I've said here, is that there is something higher than our rights and desires. Uh, That is God's desires. And the true servant is one who puts his own desires aside, to try to put the master's desires to the forefront. That's what Paul is saying here. There was a plague making the desert city of Marsilis. uh It was, uh, excuse me, there was a plague that was making a desert out of the city of Marcellus. Death was everywhere. The physicians could do nothing. In one of their councils, it was decided that a corpse must be dissected, but it would be death to the operator. Whatever the plague was, whoever was going to dissect this corpse to try to figure out what was going on was going to die. But they they felt they needed to do it. A celebrated physician of the number arose and said, I devote myself for the safety of my country. Before this numerous assembly, I swear in the name of humanity and religion that tomorrow, at the break of day, I will dissect a corpse. And write down as I proceed what I observe. He immediately left the room, made his will, and spent the night in religious exercises. During the day, a man had died in his house of the plague, and at daybreak on the following morning, the physician, whose name was Dr. Guyon, entered the room and critically made the necessary examinations, writing down all his surgical observations. He then left the room threw the papers into a vase of vinegar that they might not convey the disease to another and retired to a convenient place where he died in 12 hours. That that is an example of someone who, in, in a similar way to Paul, had a right to protect his own life. Don't we all have the right to protect our own life? He didn't have to be the one to volunteer, but he willingly chose for a higher purpose to sacrifice his right and not exercise it. And that's what Paul is saying here. And so I'd say the, exer- the application today is for, for us is to examine our lives to see if there are any areas where we are demanding or exercising our rights where perhaps the Lord is trying gently to speak to us and, and, and call us to maybe go beyond exercising our rights and to do what the Savior would be calling us to do, rather than what we would want to do. As Jesus said, He said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's from Luke 9.23. And this whole, well, this chunk of chapter 9 is all Paul's illustrating that principle that we said from the beginning. In doubtful matters, the motive for Christian conduct was regard for fellow believers. We won't do anything which causes a weaker brother to stumble. And, and probably could be stated as maybe even a little higher, higher than that is to say, um, in all matters, Paul is saying, my purpose is what God would call me to do, regardless of what my rights are. And that's what the, this whole illustration in chapter 9 here, is all about and so as we close in prayer i guess that's the uh, the call today to all of us as we should always do to say well what does this scripture mean to me today Um, it means it should mean that same thing to examine ourselves and and to say lord show me areas of my life where i might be demanding my own desires and my own rights and exercising them when i should not be let's pray Father, I thank you for the word that you've given us. I thank you for the example of Paul, someone who would choose freely and willingly to put aside his rights for the higher purpose of not hindering the gospel. And I just pray that uh, in each of our lives, in whatever area that you would be speaking to us now about, or in whatever areas that you would speak to us throughout the week as as you bring this to our minds, you would show us Uh, the same kinds of things in our own life, areas where perhaps we need to put aside our own desires and our own rights and uh, submit them to you. The the good thing about this, Father, is that no no one of us should be telling anyone else what that is. But this is each one of us getting with you and speaking with you and you speaking to us about this and leading us in the right paths. I I thank you for that. Uh, The Scripture is clear. And as, as hard as it is, I pray that you would give us each the, uh, the discernment to hear you speaking and then the, the courage and the strength to choose to obey. As, as we pray and ask for your blessing on us.